Hello, everyone. Thank you for joining the Dorsey Wright Podcast. Today is July 31st, and my name is Ben Jones, and here with me today is... Eric McCardle. It's great having you on today. Eric, you having a good summer? Yeah, absolutely, Ben. How about yourself? It's been great. It's hot and humid. I think that's just what we like down here in the South. Uh, So it's been a good summer so far. Um, Just throw a quick question out to you since it is summertime and probably have some advisors and investors listening who might be heading out on the beach. You're a big podcast guy, uh, books on tape, I audible. Any interesting books or podcasts you've been listening to lately? Yeah, I've had a couple. Um, you know, big fan of the Capital Group podcast from American Funds. I think that really does a nice job of talking about timely uh, themes in the market. Um, invest like the best with Pat O'Shaughnessy cool. of O'Shaughnessy Asset Management. I know you and I have talked about that. Um, you know, there's really there's so much content out there these days that I'm I'm almost happy I have a long commute because it lets me. Uh, <laughs> Let's me burn through it, but you know, you, you really are uh, trying to trying to swim against all that content out there. Absolutely, and sometimes I wish I had a longer commute so I could listen to some of those books and podcasts uh, more so than I can. But it's good, yeah. So you know, definitely check out those podcasts. You know, if you are looking for some some new information, a new perspective. And also, like every basically week, I feel like there's a new um, audible that comes out with about investing or economics or something interesting. You know, one that I've you know trying to uh, get through just because I find it so interesting is the misbehaving. You know, kind of the uh, book of the making of behavioral economics. Fantastic read so far. Um, you know, just something to, to check out, especially if you're heading to the beach next week um, or the week after, and you're looking for some good reads or listens. Um, there's always something. You can always email Eric or, or me. We're happy to kind of send you some ideas. We might need to start our own Dorsey Wright like book list or or podcast. And I know Tom, you know, always has an interesting book that he's you know reading or listening to as well. So we might have to get his opinion. But all right, so let's get to the good stuff, right? Intro's done. Hope everyone's having a great summer. Let's talk markets, right? Let's let's get down to business. You know, Eric, volatility has been relatively low. Um, since we saw that little April May correction, one of the best Junes we've ever have seen from a, a market standpoint. A lot of thrust behind the market, especially from you know large cap stocks. We've seen dispersion continue to favor you know large cap over small cap. Um, a couple weeks ago, we saw. Uh, large cap basically give a RS buy signal over small cap looking at the S&P 500 versus the S&P 600. This confirms some of our rankings and relationships favoring large cap. You know, you know, four years ago, we saw the Russell 1000 uh, generate a buy signal over the 2000. So it really isn't new, but we're seeing further confirmation. Uh, where we are seeing additional confirmation uh, is just coming from the interest rate tape. Right when you're looking at interest rates and what the Fed has been doing, be a, being accommodating, lowering interest rates. You know, you look at the U.S. you know Treasury ten-year yield index (TNX) um, is still hovering around that two uh, 2.1 percent range, uh, but if you look at the trend chart, it's negative, and it suggests that it's going to you know stay this low or maybe move even lower. Right? Yeah, I, I think you know in today's environment. Really following the great financial crisis, the the norm seems to be lower rates mm-hmm. for for you know longer periods. Um, I mean, if you look overseas, you know, especially in, in Europe and other developed markets, um, negative rates are, are the norm, which is right. is fascinating. Um, you know, and, and we could go, we could spend a whole podcast on on that topic. But you know, when you look at at the domestic rate environment, you know, I, I think as you said, you have this long term lower rate uh, trend. And as a result, I think you're starting to 
you know, see the market react to that and, and maybe change some expectation going forward. You know, most recently, and as we record this, uh, the Fed is, is poised to announce a potential rate cut. That seems to be the expectation that's been priced in. Um, so, so you're seeing maybe a little bit of, of moderation um, as far as the rate story, you know, in, in recent months here. But, um, you know, it's, it's interesting to see how groups on the system have reacted to that expectation change. And again, still looking at lower for longer, but potentially um, seeing some groups impacted by the rate cut. And, you know, we see some of the, the categories considered more value or blend-based dividend payers have done well on the year with that rate cut expectation. So you're going to talk about equities, right? We're looking at, let's say, just dividend stocks, equity income funds, um, dividend achievers, yeah. right? Those have been some areas where you see dividend growth stocks have been pushing higher. Absolutely. Blue chip growth, you know, if you want to stay in the large, large cap space. Um, but but like you said, the achievers, um, even, you know, some of the, the really value-based areas of the market, like staples uh, doing well, utilities, um, you, you know, very interesting to see those scoring well and ranking well side by side with growth camps like technology, which have maintained strength throughout the, the you know the, the last uh, decade really. But so basically, kind of where you're going is that we've seen you know interest rate sensitive sectors perform well. Yes. Right. Is that where you're going? Okay. So and those would be what utilities, real estate, staples. What else? Yeah, and I, I mean it's it's interesting to see you know you see staples and uh, discretionary doing well side by side, which which is kind of fascinating. You don't see that too often. Um, you know, real estate doing well. Um, that's something that's been scoring uh, highly on our system for the past nine months or so. Um, definitely rate sensitive. Um, you know, even tying back into, it's, it's interesting when you look at energy and MLPs, right? Those are mm -hmm. somewhat rate sensitive and have been um, struggling. Energy more so, ML, MLPs doing a little bit better, but um, and then you bring it back to maybe the banks, right? Um, banks improving on the year, still not necessarily the strongest place in the market, but you're starting to see some modest improvement there, which is interesting as well. Um, and I think it really depends on you know how how those banks have positioned their portfolios, whether they're in um, you know loans that are more rate sensitive or less rate sensitive. And as a result, you're seeing some names do well and some names not do so well. Like Wells Fargo comes to mind. Right, uh, a company that has a lot of exposure to the mortgage business. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, but but all that said, Ben, I, I think it's interesting. You know, anytime you see see these uh, paradigm shifts in the market, where you know we went from uh, the expectation of rate hikes to a uh, rate cut, you know, in the next few hours here, um, watching the Dorsey Wright platform, watching your indicators, and watching uh, you know Dolly and asset class group scores to see how these groups are are behaving. In an objective manner, right? right? Kind of takes the headlines out of it. So let's pivot towards fixed income again. You know, looking at group scores again. Every single ETF and mutual fund uh, that we have access to, that we track price or NAV, you know, we we score, right? We rate it. So a fund is giving a a fund score goes from zero to six, six being the strongest. You know, we have over 130 different fund groups or categories uh, that we track as well. So we get kind of aggregated group data. Uh, it's what we call an asset class group score. It's basically the average score for that group or category. And, you know, kind of talking about interest rates and, you know, we've seen kind of interest rate sensitive sectors like utilities do well um, in this lower rate environment. Uh, we have certainly seen long-term bonds uh, funds have benefited, you know, from lower rates, you know, pushing up bond prices. 
Uh, we've seen, you know, U.S. agencies, you, know, you kind of alluded to, to mortgage-backed bonds. You know, those have responded in a positive fashion. Um, you know, it also shows you kind of areas that are more growth-like in the equity markets that participated well, you know, let's say like, um, you know, technology. You've also seen kind of equity-sensitive uh, fixed-income groups like convertible bonds do well. Uh, so we are seeing, you know, certainly trends play out, you know, within the fixed income market, responding to what's happening in equities and responding to what's happening in, in interest rates. And and one group that um, I think has been quite a fickle group for investors to play from a tactical standpoint um, is inflation protection bonds, right? Tips. You know, when we look at the inflation protection group, um, we see a massive improvement, you know, off its score low. So the average inflation protection bond fund is scoring around 3.23. Um, that's up from a low about uh, about a one-point score rise off that low uh, going back um, in time. You know, what's interesting is that we have seen improvement in inflation protection, but it's nowhere as favored as some of these other groups, right, like convertibles, long-term bonds, even emerging market income. Mm-hmm. But I think it's improvement that um, you know, shouldn't go unnoticed, uh, I think you were looking at what some of the the Federal Reserve data, um, you know, kind of tracking kind of inflation expectations. We have seen a, an uptick really since May. Is that right? Yeah, and and I think you know that kind of lends to the data that the Fed is making their decision on. Right there, the the lack of inflation in the market, uh, which has really dragged down on those inflation protection or uh, protected securities. Mm-hmm. Y- you know, now that that the rate cut expectation is on the table you're starting to see future inflation expectations rise, as you would expect, right? And so so as a result, um, you know, that, that inflation protection group is, is improving modestly. Uh, when you're looking at the FRED data, you're looking at, you know, future expectations of about 2% inflation, which, um, correct me if I'm wrong, I believe that's around target for mm-hmm. FED, right? So um, some modest adjustment there, um, but, but certainly lower relative to where we were, say, this time last year, uh, where the expectation was... Higher, more more near the two and a quarter uh, bound. So yeah, so when, and then you know, taking that conversation, you know, you know, further into the realm of interest rate movements and what how it's impacting cross asset class returns. You know, one of the headlines that you see out there, and you mentioned this earlier, is just negative yielding debt, right? Negative interest rates. You know, this the market has been dealing with this about 2015. I'm trying to remember, was it Switzerland who had the first kind of negative yielding bond, or maybe it was Germany? I don't remember, but either way, you just seen the amount of negative yielding debt increase dramatically over the past four years. Um, there's a great graph circulating a lot of the the blogs and and research uh, letters that I, I try to track uh, from. You know, I think it was in the Financial Times. It basically tracks. Um, the amount of negative yielding debt that's out there in the market, along with the price of gold. Um, we put this in the ETF spotlight today. We did a piece on gold. And what's interesting is as the amount of negative yielding debt has increased, so too has the price of gold, mm-hmm. right? And if you plot them together, they basically have traced each other pretty closely. Again, Eric, you know, we talk about this a lot, correlation versus causation. You know, we're not going to apply anything here. But you know, it seems to be that there is demand coming from various areas of the marketplace globally for gold, and that could be linked to negative yielding debt in some way. I mean, we can speculate. I know uh, we put some um, links 
in the daily equity reports from various sources talking about um, we see some of the drivers in, in the price of gold, i.e. demand is coming from the People's Bank of China as well as Russia. Uh, apparently, the Russian Central Bank has brought, uh, bought about 96 tons of gold in the first half of this year. You know, we're seeing some dynamics there. Um, no matter w- why it's happening, um, it's important to just to look at what is. And what is is that precious metals, particularly gold, have responded positively over the last couple months. And we've seen some major technical events, right? We, uh, we've we seen the Precious Metals Fund Group, again, we're talking about group scores, has surged to an average score of 4.34. That places it a notch below the S&P 500 Fund Group, Eric. So this is a group that you know, is competing with S&P 500 funds, um, aggressive growth, large growth, technology. Uh, we see uh, the trend chart of gold using GC forward slash, you know, broke through that 1390 resistance level. So we are seeing some important technical events coincide uh, with the moves in gold. Yeah, that's that's right. And I, I think that's, that's really important to point out, you know, as you mentioned on the group score side, seeing precious metals ranked eighth of 135. I mean, that that is just... That's a powerful statement, right? There. Mm-hmm. You know that that really tells you a lot about what is in the market, as you put it. Um, you know, in in looking at GC forward slash on our system, we're looking at the chart for GLD, one of the more widely followed gold ETFs out there. You know, moving to levels not seen in six years. Um, so, a significant breakout there, definitely on the overbought side of the curve. Yep. Um, but all that said, you know, there is certainly demand for um, gold and precious metals in general. And and to piggyback on that a little bit, you know, I know we mentioned this in our research meeting today. We brought up the chart of silver, which recently returned to a buy signal yeah. for the first time in a few years. So, you know, may, maybe some demand um, spreading into other areas of the precious metals market, um, but, but certainly interesting nonetheless. Yeah, and it's interesting to think about kind of where precious metals, you know, kind of fits within a, a portfolio, right? I mean, you think about you know, TAA, right, tactical asset allocation. You know, for most TAA portfolios, you know, think Dolly, Dolly Tilt, um, you know, some of the other strategies that are out there. You know, commodities in general has been a fairly underweight position, right? I mean, it's been an unfavored asset class. I mean, just look at Dolly today. You know, it's below U.S. international fixed income. Um, so, you know, gold in general just really doesn't, f- you know, fit in a lot of these TAA models. You know, you think about some of the other portfolios that you might have a little more flexibility potentially. You know, I think you know gold might have some utility, uh, or just precious metals as again, it's a, a technical trade, right? Playing the trend, so a lot of trend following strategies that really aren't relying purely on relative strength, but maybe relying on just you know absolute price movement. I think you know gold could be an interesting position. You know, it's been a I think a pretty good year for the permanent portfolio concept, um, which you know was quite popular back in like 2011. You know, when you kind of saw similar dynamics across the market, uh, 2010 as well, uh, when you saw equities pushing higher, fixed income pushing higher, as well as gold. Um, so it'll be interesting to see if if the permanent portfolio comes back in vogue, which basically. You know, you almost um, you have kind of equal weighted positions towards equities, bonds, um, gold, and cash, uh, which is kind of an interesting idea. So, you know, if you look at the ETF spotlight in today's por- um, you know daily equity report, for those of you who have access to it, you know, we we uh, just 
put it out there, kind of the case for precious metals and what's happened, as well as some ways of accessing it, right? And, you know, the interesting about precious metals, you know, there are so many efficient vehicles, you know, from the ETF space, whether you just want to access broad basket of precious metals or just gold or, or silver, you know, look at the ETF spotlight for some of those ideas. If you have clients calling or if you are looking to make a tactical play, what's also important too, is that, you know, We've seen precious metal miners, right, on the equity side, participate in this rally in gold as well. Um, sometimes it doesn't always happen, um, but we've seen a, a really a, a positive response. You know, the Vanek Vectors Global uh, Gold Miners ETF GDX is a, really a pure play there, scoring at one of the highest levels we have on the system right now, 5.92. But you mentioned earlier, it is overbought, right? And so mm-hmm. I think if you're a little late to the gold rally, then you know we would suggest you know waiting for a pullback for some of these funds. Um, you know, another way to access it in a rules-based way is through uh, like a commodity model, you know, which we offer, uh, um, you know, one on the system through Invesco ETFs. That model is basically 100% precious metals right now. You know, we saw, you know, precious metals rotate into the portfolio earlier and then gold uh, rotated it, uh, rotated in the portfolio earlier this month. So we're seeing some changes and trends there and some improvement. And we just want to make sure all the listeners out there are aware of it, you know, especially as it relates to gold and precious metals and fixed income and interest rates and all kind of feeds into each other. Um, but overall, you know, as we talked about, we made the introduction about what's happening in the markets is that with these changes in the alternative space, we really aren't seeing a lot of changes at the top on the equity side, right? I mean, U.S. equities continues to remain overweight in a lot of our you know equity models because it's still first place in Dolly. We haven't seen a lot of sector changes, right? Technology is still leading industrials. Uh, we've seen a little bit of flip-flop with utilities. What else are we seeing just on the macro level with U.S. equities, Eric? Yeah, so the growth camp, certainly still in favor. I know we have pointed out some of those more value or blend uh, style categories improving. Mm-hmm. Um, but overwhelmingly, you know, especially on our system when we're looking at either Dolly or asset class group scores, um, large, mid, and small cap growth, all scoring higher than their value counterparts. So, you know, if you had to throw a dart in either direction, we would still prefer to be in the growth side. Um, you know, that said, when you're seeing movement in, in the blend or the value camps, um, I think it's certainly worth noting. And, you know, not to say that there's any kind of paradigm shift occurring, right. but um, I, I think everyone is always waiting for for the other shoe to drop on the growth story, right? And say, okay, when does value come back in favor? And I think by watching the scores and watching the directional movement, you know, you can start to at least set yourself up for a potential shift. Now, again, not to say that that is occurring, but um, it, it makes holding some of those more value or blend areas of the market a little bit more pleasant, right? You're not underperforming uh, like you were. Uh, or not to the same magnitude. And in some cases, you might actually outperform the market uh, by being in a value or blend area. But again, we, we really implore that you look at the scores, you know, look at the relative strength and make a decision based on that. And, and that should guide you in the right direction. Absolutely. So thank you so much for tuning in today. Uh, we'll be back on next week. For those of you who would like some updates throughout the week, you can always go to DorseyWright.com and access our research or if you're on Twitter and in the, the FinTwit community, um, follow us, right, at DorseyWrightDWA. Again, that's at DorseyWrightDWA. That's our handle. And we push out some updates on Twitter. Uh, we provide, you know, links, upcoming webinars, events, and just general market updates. So definitely give us a follow if you're on Twitter and you're still tuning in. Uh, we'd love to hear from you. So, you know, send us an email at DWA at DorseyWright.com. Um, so have a great week, great summer, and we'll talk to you again next week.